Yeah. yeah, I was driving my Jeep like a knucklehead. I didn't have my seatbelt on at the time. Can't afford this, a real car? This, you know, <laughs> and this lady T-boned the Jeep, and we flipped it. I went right out the roof. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, I'm sitting on the asphalt. I'm like... I just flew out the roof of my Jeep, <laughs> and it's upside down because I'm a guy. You know, there's gas in car. I'm thinking, blow. Up. <laughs> and it didn't, but you know, shoot. <laughs> oh, and so they, you know, they fired trucks came and they towed this car away. And and this lady, like her name is, well, I won't say her name. I don't want to feel bad. Oh no, I said it in the book. Her name's Lynn. <laughs> Sue me. So so Lynn's anyway. Numbers oh, yeah. <laughs> But she kept sending me flowers all the time. She, felt so she would tell, like, oh, call me up and say, like, you know, I'm so like, sorry. I'd be like in a deposition. I'd get a phone call. I'd be like, hello, it's Bob. And like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then it's all good. And actually, I send her a huge bouquet Aww. of flowers. I sent it to her with a note that said it was great running into you. Now stop calling me. <laughs> Lynn just couldn't believe that she was forgiven. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can't believe. Yeah. Yeah. We think that beating ourselves up will work better than grace, and it just yeah. doesn't. Yeah. It's a lie. I mean, so just if we could just, we mess up. And then every time we mess up the worst, you know, God calls us beloved. Mm-hmm. We're calling ourselves all these other names. He's crazy and, good. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. I named Bob Goff, you saw that up there. Uh, he was a presenter at Pepperdine last year. That was the first time I'd heard him speak, uh, read anything about him. Has a very infectious personality, uh, really fun to be around. Great storyteller, and, and I really liked this story uh, because I love what he has to say about grace. We think beating ourselves up will work better than grace, and the reality is it just won't. We call ourselves all sorts of things after we sin, and God calls us beloved. I think that's good news for us this morning. I think that's something we need to hear. I want to make a few observations about grace to start this morning. Uh, A few observations uh, just that I'm coming to terms with. The first one is this. Grace, by its very nature, cannot be earned. Right? By its very nature, grace cannot be earned. And if you can earn whatever you think you're earning, it's not grace. Grace cannot be earned. That means that grace is not based on our success. It's not based on our own actions. It's not based on our obedience. It's not based on our knowledge. It's not based on our failure. Grace is based on God's goodness and love and mercy And the reality is that we are all desperate for grace. When we look at ourselves, we are desperate for grace. And that's why the writer of 1 Peter wishes for the churches to have grace and peace in abundance. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles up to 1 Peter this morning. It's where we're going to be spending our time. I want to tell you a story. Uh, It was about this time in 2012 uh, when Lindsay texted me and asked if I was coming home for lunch. Sometimes I would come home for lunch, sometimes I would not come home for lunch, but on this day I was planning to come home for lunch. And I get home and she surprises me with some news that I did not expect. We were expecting 
we were expecting our first child. And that was, that was exciting. It was a big shock. We'd been married five years. I'd gotten used to the idea of it being the two of us, and all of a sudden it was going to be the three of us. It was big news. But like I said, it was about this time of year, and that created a conundrum about a month down the road when a certain holiday came about. Mother's Day was coming, but the baby was due in November. And so I had to ask myself, am I supposed to get her a gift? Which is the second question that I should have asked myself, but it was the first, I'll be honest here. Because the bigger question is, is she a mother yet? Is Lindsay a mother yet? The answer to both of those questions is yes. So if any of you find yourself in that situation, the answer is yes, just go with it, yes. Yes, always. All of the situation, all of the evidence would show that Lindsay was a mother, except for one glaring absence or presence, it's, it's hard to say. The baby is both here and is not here. We cleaned out the room for the baby. Micah was going to have this great room that was dedicated to him and my favorite football team. It was wonderful. <laughs> Lindsay was very careful about what she was eating and about taking care of herself so that she's providing safety and nourishment and love for this baby that is still not fully here. Lindsay was already a mother, but we did not yet have the baby. She was already receiving this gift in part, had not fully received the gift. And when Micah was born, there was such a big difference between what we had experienced up to that point and what we experienced when we fully received him. The author of 1 Peter makes clear that there is this already but not yet distinction. I introduced this idea last week, but there's this already but not yet dilemma when it comes to grace. When it comes to grace, we already receive it kind of, but then we will receive it fully. First Peter is a pastoral letter to five churches in Asia Minor. There are these five churches that are spread out, and he writes to this dispersion. And these churches are undergoing some sort of persecution in their part of the world, and they've been marginalized and abused by their society because of their conversion to following Jesus. So it's written to encourage these disciples who are attempting to live faithfully in a difficult situation. So we read in chapter, oh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, To the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood, May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He tells them that they've been chosen and destined by God that they've been sanctified by the Spirit, that they've been cleansed and purified by the Holy Spirit, that they've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, which alludes back to some of the Old Testament language about the altar, and given new birth into a living hope, which just has this intrinsic baptismal language that's beautiful. 
The reality is, through Jesus, we have already received grace. And that's wonderful. Through Jesus, we have already received grace. And he bases this on what is most important. In verse 21, he says that our faith and our hope are unshakable because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection proves that we have received grace. It's happened. We received grace through Jesus. But, the letter continues in verses 4 and 5. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being perfected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then in verse 9, you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's this distinction. Salvation, which is a grace from God, is something we are receiving, but it's something we haven't yet fully received. The present experience has a future consummation, a future fullness which is now experienced only in part. We are already experiencing it, but we will experience it more. And so Peter, the writer of 1 Peter, says in verse 13, set all your hope on the grace Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. I think we can get most of the way there. I really do. I think we can look at Jesus and we can say, you know what, I get it. I get the grace. I, I understand that. I understand receiving the grace in part. I think we rely on the grace of Jesus. We proclaim the grace of Jesus. We look at the cross and say, this is an act of grace. We look at the resurrection and we say, that is an act of grace. We trust that Jesus loves us when we do not return that love, which is grace. We trust that what he did covers our sins, which is grace. It's wonderful. But the sticking point for some of us is that can we trust that he will be revealed? Can we trust that he will return? A couple of years ago, Micah was starting preschool two days a week at Peace of Mind. Uh, it's a local school, and he really loves the school, but he had a lot of anxiety about going to school every day. And I'm not the most perceptive dad in the world, so I couldn't figure out what was going on. But we found something that actually helped him a lot. We found this video that I want to show you now uh, that, that helps a little bit. So Eric, if you'll turn off the lights, Thomas. Miss Elena? Your mommy will come back and get you. Dad always says, Grown-ups, come back. Really? Really, really. Dad always says, Even when they go away, Grown-ups, come back. Really? It's true. What about when mom drops me off at school? At the end of the day, she'll come and pick you up too. Grown-ups, come Day. 
They kiss you goodnight and they'll be there when you wake. Grown ups, come back. Grown ups, come back to you. Grown ups, come back, they do. Grown ups, come back. Grown ups, come back. <laughs> Right? I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking, we had the kids in here last week. Why are we showing Daniel Tiger this week? I get it. I get it. But this show, that song, that story, actually helped him remember something that's true. So all of you parents, parents of little ones, there you go. Free. For free. I'll send you the link if you want it. Took him a while to learn that when we dropped him off, we would come back to get him. We would promise him every morning that we would see him that afternoon, but somehow that just made it hard. That was hard for him. And 1 Peter is this book that is pointing to the return of Jesus. It's saying he's coming back. He will be back. But I have to admit, I feel like three-year-old Micah sometimes, and I'm like, why isn't he back? Where is he? What's taking so long? So I want to ask the question, and I think this is an important question for us, how do we actually trust that he will return? And and I've got a few reasons that might be helpful, uh, but I think this is something we need to wrestle with. The first one is this. The idea of the day of the Lord was a really important piece of Old Testament, uh, of the Hebrew story with God. There was a belief and an expectation that someday God would come and set things right, just as he had done with Moses. When God raised Moses up, he had brought this deliverer so that God would deliver the people out of captivity into the promised land. And and the oppressors in this idea would be judged. God would come and judge the oppressors, set things right. And that was just a necessary part of their world. It was the hope in which they uh, set themselves up. And so for a judge to come, Jesus would come as judge. In the New Testament, this reality is pointed to over and over again. When the disciples of Jesus start speaking. When Paul and Peter and John and others, all they do is point toward the return of Jesus, this moment when Christ will be present again. They pray, come Lord Jesus. It's an important idea. The book of Revelation ends with the Spirit and the Bride beckoning to Jesus, come. The revelation of Jesus The return of Jesus is crucial to the New Testament hope that we are given. So a big part of this trust, a big part of the reason why we need to trust that Jesus is coming back is because Scripture. But I know that for some of you, that is just not a satisfying answer. And I understand. And so here is my best thought, my best case. That without the return of Jesus, our whole story unravels. It really does. Without the return of Jesus, the whole story just falls apart. Just consider what the alternatives would be. To what end would the world be moving if Jesus does not return? 
Would we just be moving toward destruction? Would we just be moving toward chaos? Would we just be moving toward everything unraveling? That's not the hope that we have. What in the world would be the focus of Jesus' ministry? When we read the Gospels, I said this last week, the focus of Jesus' ministry was redemption. How would that be accomplished if he's not coming back? It doesn't make sense. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that if Jesus were not raised from the dead, we ought to be pitied above all people. Like, if that's not part of our story, we have to be pitied. But because Jesus was raised from the dead, because we believe that he is risen, we have reason to hope. And we can anticipate and look forward to a resurrection like his that will only come when he returns. The way I see it, we don't have a choice but to believe that Jesus will return. Because if we don't hold on to that, the whole story falls apart. And when he returns, we will experience the fullness of God's grace for us. We are like the pregnant mom. We're already a mom, but not yet fully. We've already received grace, but we will someday receive the fullness of that grace. God's grace will be revealed when Jesus Christ is revealed. And if we trust that, then how are we to live? That's the question. If we trust that Jesus will return, then how are we to live? And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 gives us two instructions. The first one is this. Prepare your minds for action. What goes on in our head is incredibly important. So we need to make sure that we do not get caught unprepared. I was in class one day in college and had not done the reading that I was supposed to do for the night before. And inevitably, the one time I actually do that, the professor calls on me. Says, Jordan, what did you think about this book? Thought I should have read it, that's for sure. But on the spot, I tried to explain it. Tried to explain the contents of the book I had not yet read. I made a fool of myself. My biggest fear, and I, I admit this 100%, my biggest fear is for people to think I do not know what I'm talking about. To think that I am dumb. I, that's, that's crippling to me. If I'm going to talk to you about something I really care about, it's going to come after I've studied. It's going to come after I've adequately prepared to do so. And one of the best things we can do to make our minds prepared, to prepare our minds for action, is to not be caught unprepared. It's to actually prepare. The second thing is this. We need to recognize that what we consume matters. And this one's tough. Your mind is not prepared if it's always in another place. You can't prepare your mind for action if you're not aware of what's going on around you. Your mind is not prepared for action if all of your thoughts are complaints. That's not recognizing the reality of the situation. That's just recognizing what's wrong with it. Your mind is not prepared if there's constantly filth and distractions and evil that is entering it. 
we can easily get in the way of our minds being prepared if we do not take into account the things that we consume. So we need to make good choices about the things that we consume in order to prepare our minds for actions. And that ties into the second admonition that First Peter gives us, and it's this. Discipline yourselves. There is no such thing as an undisciplined disciple. Just think of how close those words go. Disciple and discipline. Disciples must be disciplined. We need to adopt the habits of Jesus, trusting that he will return. We need to remove what is not good from our lives and replace it with him who is. Replace it with the things of Jesus. We need to learn when to say yes and when to say no. Many of us err on one side of the other. I say no far too much. There are others of you who say yes far too much. We need to grow in that discipline of discerning when to say yes and no. The reality is that we need to discipline ourselves. And so this is the first week of this sermon series that we're doing on standing firm. And this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, is kind of the foundation on which the rest stands. So let's read that verse one more time. Prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. We have work to do now in light of the grace Jesus has brought us and in light of the grace he will bring us. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. It is in him who we have placed all our hope. We pray that you help us prepare our minds and become disciplined as we await his return. We thank you for being with us, and we pray for your guidance. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.